This morning we're continuing on in our little study here we're doing on perspectives. Perspectives. Some of the things that our culture tells us, but the Bible gives us different perspective on. Last week we looked at self and this idea that all of us are created with great worth and great value. We are created in the image of God. Here's the problem though. We all deal with brokenness in our life. Every single one of us. It's because of sin. And the whole reason Jesus came was not only to provide us forgiveness from our sin, but healing to our brokenness. Today we're going to talk about perspective on marriage. And here's the thing, our culture tells us one thing and the Bible tells us another. For instance, the culture tells us marriage isn't that important. In fact, you can just live together. Quite honestly, you can play married. You know, you can move in together. You can even buy a house together. If you don't listen to Dave Ramsey, you ought to because he would tell you that's the biggest financial mistake you can make is buying a house with somebody it's like with a roommate because if something happens, you got real problems on the back end. But so many do it and say, oh, you know, you can work out the issues. You can find out if you're compatible. You can do all this. And yet all of the really strong statistics. I got, a, I got an article, if you don't believe me, from September actually of 18. Because they tried to put out articles saying, yeah, 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 but in the short term, it's one thing. In the long term, divorce rate is 33% higher to those people who cohabitate before they're married. It just doesn't work. Then you have the problem of what happens in our homes and, you know, the no-fault divorce and you know, Ronald Reagan, if I give you a little history, I believe it was 1960, was the first governor to sign in no-fault divorce. No-fault divorce was promoted as, hey, you don't have to give all these money to, to lawyers, you can just walk away. Basically, what it lets is one person walk away when the other doesn't want to. Divorce rates in the next 20 years shot up 250%. Michael Reagan shares in his book about his dad that his dad confided with him the biggest political mistake he ever made was signing because it's in every law. It's a law in every state now. If you just want out, it's an easy out. And what we're seeing is the number of children that are growing up in homes that have two parents. Back in 1950, 93% of all kids grew up in two-parent homes. Today it's under 70% and it's heading south. You kind of wonder when you look at this next generation coming up, uh, you know, they've some interesting studies out there right now. Some of these mass shootings, one of the common threads that you're seeing is, is people that grew up without a strong dad influence in their life. God's wisdom, man's wisdom. But here's the thing. I say all that, and guess what? We got a boatload of folks out here that have been divorced. We got a lot of single parents. In fact, Tammy and I just had our grandkids this weekend, like for 26 hours and 32 minutes. And I got to tell you, those of you that are single parents, man, my hat's off to you. I have no idea how you do it, how you provide for them, how you raise them, how you do it. There's two of us. We're still in a little coma shock now, you know, trying to get our legs back under us. And the reality is we got some of you that are in here that you're widows. You would give anything you had to have some of the problems we're going to talk about again because your loved one is gone. And then we've got single folk. And some of you as happy as a lark being single and others of you just 
are, are just craving to be in a relationship so much so that you're making some bad decisions. And then we got some of you that are marriages that aren't doing well. And I've got to be real honest with you today. So one of the first things that you learn as a preacher is to never preach angry. Because if, if you're angry, the chance of you saying what you want to say instead of letting the Holy Spirit lead you, it's, so it's just, you don't do that. You don't, but I, I got to be honest with you, this week, you know, Tammy and I, when we go out and walk in the evenings, we have six marriages, very specifically, by the way, that grew last night, it's probably going to grow today. But we have six marriages that we're praying for, not all out of Desert Springs, but basically one of the two is, is walking away from the marriage. So this is something that's very real to me. And I know some of you got marriage, you got marriage issues, and quite honestly, you're going to sit and God's giving you truth today and you're not going to listen and that frustrates me. And some of you are single and you're in a relationship and you're moving towards marriage and you shouldn't be and that frustrates me. And I've just sensed this week, I talked to the staff about it, I, there's, a, there's a little rawness here, and I'm, I'm trying to mask it, I'm trying to, but in case it sticks up its head, just wanted you to know why. It's not about you, it's just, you know, we were at this camp, this young lady came, three little kids, like what, 12, 9, 7, beautiful little girls, her husband of 20 years basically came and said, I don't love you, I've never loved you, I want out. He has... I mean, I've been around the block. Quite honestly, I've never met the guy. I haven't talked to him. Sounds like a classic midlife crisis. And he is destroying his family and his relationship with kids that he'll never get back because he's listening to some lies that are never going to produce. It frustrates me. So, I'm going to try to be really good, but I want you to know where I'm at. I want to start today, I want to start with the Bible's perspective. What is marriage all about? And here's the thing, marriage, and we're going to be in Genesis, by the way. So if you've got your Bible, it's going to be kind of one, two, and three. We'll be jumping around. So if you just get to Genesis, which is the easiest book to find, it's the first one. But marriage was designed to be the most intimate of personal relationships and it is the relationship that God designed that most reflects his character. So you, you're here in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And you had the plurality of God there according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. So what you've got to understand is that primarily marriage is not a about your happiness. That's not what it was created for. It was created to reflect the character of our triune God. Again, I've got a boatload to say today, and I've got like 32 minutes. So we're going to talk quickly. You can dive into this deeper. But our God is one, correct? But he exists as three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet in that perfect triunity, there is a complete oneness. Behold, Israel, our God is one. And so when God made man in his image, the thing that most reflects his image is this, this oneness in marriage. Where God and a man and a woman come together to form a new little, if you would, sub-trinity. 
And in there, there's a oneness unlike any other relationship. And so this intimacy, and that is what God created marriage to do and to be. And so because of that, the marriage of, or intimacy of marriage was, requires a lifelong commitment. In fact, if you look here in chapter 2, verse 25, I think you get the heart of what God desired for marriage. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were fully known, fully revealed, fully transparent with one another, and yet fully loved. Isn't it interesting? The moment sin came in and brokenness, what did they do? They started covering up. They started hiding. And God's plan is to know in the intimacy of marriage because it reflects the Trinity where they are fully God and yet fully one is that a man and a wife will be fully known, fully loved. And there's that ability for me to share with my wife those pieces about me that I don't even like. So I know she's not gonna. But to get her help on that and to know that there's no exit strategy for her. That she has committed her love. That's where intimacy is found. That's why this idea of cohabitating, because you don't have that. You don't know they're going to be there tomorrow. You know, you, you kind of think or whatever, but there's that bond of marriage. I mean, I love, somebody once asked Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham. You know, it must have been hard, they asked her to raise all these children and Billy's traveling around the world and he's always gone and you're raising the kids. Did you ever consider divorce? She looked at them and quickly answered, divorce? No. Murder? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Because when you stand there and you say, hey, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do you part. There are no exit routes. We have got to figure this out. That's where intimacy is found. That's how God created it. And so it requires that life commitment. God also designed marriage for one man and one woman. It's here. He made male and female. He brought them together. And it was the idea. In fact, if you, again, look over here in chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. That was God's design. Listen, folks, God could have designed marriage for polygamy. He didn't. God could have made it so that every one of us has the reproductive organs of both sexes so we could go either way. He didn't. And for everybody out there who says, you know, Jesus never spoke about against two uh, people of the same sex being married. And I'm going, do you not read the Bible? Matthew chapter 19, they asked him and he, he quotes this. God made them male and female. And therefore, man leaves his father and mother, cleaves to it. And then he says, what God has joined together, don't let anybody separate. God's design. Now you say, well, well wait a minute. It wasn't there polygamy in the Old Testament? Yeah, but that wasn't God's ideal. I mean, it's just like divorce. Was there divorce? Yes. But, but Jesus tells us God only allowed those things because of the hardness of people's hearts. It wasn't God's design. God's design, one man, one woman, one lifetime. I'm going to talk about this in two weeks, but I didn't want to drive by without mentioning it here. And that is that marriage is the only relationship that's designed for the sexual intimacy of intercourse. Because that's the whole idea of oneness, that a man and woman come to become one. 
and with God in their life, that, that tr sub-triunity that reflects the perfect intimacy. Again, we'll talk more about that in two weeks. Whatever you do, don't miss it. So, folk, here's the point. And especially for those of you that are single, but can I just remind you of this? The marriage is a privilege. It is not a command. We talked about this last week. You've got to understand that you are of great worth and value. You are not lacking completeness if you are not married. In fact, quite honestly, if in your heart you think you need somebody that's going to complete you, you're not ready for marriage. We were made to be complete in our relationship with God and in Him. Because quite honestly, if you think that this other person is going to come and complete you, guess what? You've just set that person up to fail. I love my wife. I want to passionately love her. But she would kindly and graciously but give testimony today. I can't meet every need in her life. I can't, I don't have the ability, nor does she for me. Our completeness is in Jesus. Until you get that figured out. So listen, do you have to be married? The answer is no. Choose wisely. Now, let's talk a little bit about the design of marriage. Because God designed it with specific roles and responsibilities. You know, you see this in the character of God. You see it in the creation. There's order. There, there, there's God has a plan, even in the Trinity. How do we refer to the Trinity? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Father's greater than the Son or greater than the Holy Spirit? No. No, they're fully God, each person. And yet they're one. Why? Well, because in the order of the Trinity, there is order. There is design. We, we read about this in 1 Corinthians 11. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. The man is the head of a woman. And God is the head of Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said, I didn't come to do my will, but the Father's will. Why? Because the Father's greater? No. Jesus is God. John 1. But then he talks about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will come and he will reflect me, not himself. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is less than? No, this isn't about superiority, inferiority. This is not about equality. They're all equal. There's just order. There's design. And in marriage, God put order and design. There are three primary roles that God has given to the husband. I'm going to have to, listen, folks, we could talk about this till next Sunday, all right? I didn't figure any of you would sign up for that. So I'm going to blow through these pretty quick, but I hope you'll take notes and you'll go look at them. The first role that God has given the husband is to be the leader. You see it here in Genesis 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. He is to take the role of leadership. He is the one who is to pursue. He is to lead the home. In fact, the, the real story, if you go into Genesis 3 and we, you know, we read about you know, Satan tempting and the woman takes the tree. Do you know what the real story, if you ask me, in, in, in that is? Is in verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for the food, it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate it, and she gave also to her husband with her. So the understanding of the text is not like Adam's off doing something else. He is standing there watching his wife engage the serpent, and he does not stand in to protect her. He does not stand in to protect his family. He does not stand in that role of leadership. You are called to lead. Now here's the thing. 
It's like, well, what kind of leadership? You know, and I hear women say, well, I don't want to be told what to do. Have any of you worked for somebody who was a dictator? I mean, had that person, they didn't want your ideas. It was their way or the highway. Don't give them any feedback. Just, I, or am I the only one, right? Are, are they fun people to work for? Do you hang around and work for them for a long time? Answer's no. By the way, that's not biblical leadership. You remember what Jesus said about biblical leadership? The disciples are having that big discussion about who considers left hand. Who can, that's about leadership. Who gets to kind of be in charge? Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They dictate. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your what? So what is leadership in God's eyes? It's serving. How do I serve? How do I serve my wife? How do I, you know, I'm the, I'm the leader here of the staff. And my job is not to tell them what to do. My job is, is, is to see where is their giftedness and to put them in the best spot possible. You know, in leadership terms today, it's like getting the right people in the right seats of the bus, right? And as a father, as a husband, my job is to understand my wife and her strengths and put her in places where she's going to succeed. To make sure there's a family, we're moving towards the common goals. Men, you were called to lead your home. That doesn't mean dictate your home. In fact, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a leader who doesn't talk and bring in people and, and collectively lead as a team to the decision and to the, into the spot. That's biblical leadership. Secondly, a husband's called to li- love his wife passionately. You know, this is the passage we're going to talk about in a minute where it talks to women and women go, oh, man, I've got to be honest with you, you guys got it really easy. You really do. You know what a husband's told to do in Ephesians 5.25? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's not just to love her, but I got to love her the way Christ loved me. Let me ask you, how did Christ love me? When I let him down, what did he do? He showed grace, right? When I failed, what did he do? He showed mercy. When I screwed up, he showed compassion. He always comes around to to help and to help pick up. I've got to love her like Christ loved me. That's what you're called to do, to passionately love your wife. In fact, you get into that passage and he even breaks it down a little bit even more of how how you move her towards Jesus and how that love's got to be unbreakable. But you've got to love her like Jesus. The third thing is, found in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, Husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way as, as with a weaker vessel. And again, boy, today in our culture, weaker. I'm a, listen, I think there's a boatload to what he's saying there. But the truth is, in most cases, not every case, broad brush here, most men are physically stronger than their wives. You don't use your physical strength to dominate your wife. You use your physical strength to protect and to guide. You don't feed on your wife. You love her. I think it also speaks, too, of, of just the, the delicate nature of her soul and, and to love her well. That's what you are called to do. In fact, in that First Peter passage, men, if you don't do it, God says he won't listen to your prayers. Then there's three things, the primary roles for wives. The first one, again, we see here in Genesis, and that is to be a helper. You see it in verse 20 of chapter 2. 
The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable. You're to be a helper. Now again, oh no, how can I just be a helper? I wouldn't be complete. You know, the Bible says that God's our helper. Do you not know Psalm 121? I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. The Lord is our helper. And you are a helper to your husband. You come along. You help fix the short slats. I think it probably deals with the femininity piece that comes in that softens his heart. You come in and you help. You work as a team. This idea of how the Holy Spirit is called a helper, a comforter. That's what, what you to be a part. Secondly, it says, why submit yourselves to your own husbands is to the Lord. You've got to let them lead. Now, I've got to be honest with you. One of the biggest complaints I get is my husband won't lead. And it is. It's a huge thing. Men are, that sit in passivity and they don't lead their homes spiritually and in love. And, and they don't lead them in finances and this goal. Where are we going to go? Men, you've got to step up. But I've got to be honest with you. I sat in way too many meetings where she complaining about he won't lead. And he comes up with an idea and she shoots it down with 18 reasons why it won't work. Okay, rawness just slipped out there. Sorry. <laughs> but honestly, you got to let them lead. And to understand in this idea, you know, th this idea of submit, it's, it's actually a, it's a term that's tied with the military. And it's just that there's, there's order. And that ultimately, he's the one that's going to stand and give an account, not you for that. Now, I've got, got to be honest, and on the other side, I, I, I see wives that trying to be a Christian wife and trying to, you know, submit, but, but they let their husband walk in sin, and they let their husband screw up their life, and quite honestly, they become an enabler. Submitting and being a helper does not allow you to be an enabler. I mean, if your husband is screwing up his life and you're going to step back, have you been a helper to him? You need to speak truth. You know, this whole idea of submit is actually tied to verse 20 where we are to submit to one another. What does that mean? Well, I think Philippians 2 tells us that we put others' needs ahead of ourselves, others' cares ahead of ourselves, our own needs and cares and concerns. And so that means we have to speak truth and speak it in love, but you don't enable don't let them continue on without saying anything to things that are going to hurt. Enabling is not a part of this. The third thing is found in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 is mentioned again in Ephesians 5, and that is, and it's really in context to an unbelieving husband, that you just live Jesus in front of them in such a way that they'll see Jesus by your behavior, the way that you respect them, the sweetness. Now, folks, let's be really honest. It's not hard to come and show Jesus here on a Sunday morning, is it? Put that smile on as you're getting out of the car. Everything's good. We're going, how are you? Oh, it's so great to see you. And we do that. You only got to do it for an hour. Now, some of you don't try, but a lot of you do, right? Okay. <laughs> it's not hard to walk into a connect group. And by the way, you need to be in a connect group. Really, really important. But man, to put Jesus on and just to, I tell you where it's hard. It's hard to do it in your house. 
it's hard to do it in your home and you come home and you know the dishes aren't done and the, he told you he was going to do them or the, you know the socks are still that's where it's hard to live Jesus but that is the place more than here and out there that we're called to do it is in our home all right I, I've got to hurry I've got takeaways that I just want to share with you, and I don't know how best to do this except to break it down. So I want to start with those of you that are single. Let me give you three takeaways. Number one, you need to make sure that you find your wholeness and your completeness in Jesus. And if you don't, don't get married. You're not ready. If you're looking that this is going to be the thing that completes me, that brings contentment to my life, it will not do that. You have got to get that settled between you and Jesus. That you are all, he is all you need, and that your completeness is in him. And when you get there, and all of a sudden you're content, you'll be ready. You might even be amazed of who God will bring into your life. Secondly, if the person that you're dating now and you're looking at, quite honestly, in your heart's not not all that, and you're having this thing, don't marry them thinking they're going to change. If they're not a spiritual leader now, and that's what you're looking for as a woman, they're not going to become one. In fact, most likely, once they get you married, they're probably not going to come to church anymore. Or if they got an anger issue, but you think you can rub that, you know, slow that down once you get married, it ain't going to happen. It's only going to get worse. You need to have those hard conversations now. You need to dig into those things now before you tie into it. Because you tie into it, there is no exit strategy. And number three, singleness is better than being in a bad marriage. And if you don't believe me, you come and see me. I will give you references. All right, I want to talk to those of you that are divorced. Number one, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Sadly, because as a, you know, in the church community, we talk about marriage and marriage being forever, and that's always the goal, and, and we're looking towards that. that. Somehow we've also communicated the idea that if, if you've been divorced, that man, it, it's just over, God can't use you, and nothing could be farther than the truth. God forgives everything. God's not done with you. Live by God's grace. Don't somehow think that somehow you, you stepped in it so deep that you can't, he can't use you. That's not true. you got to live in his grace. But you got to remember that divorce is caused by our brokenness, right? We're all broken. We talked about that last week. And it's our brokenness that brings you to this point. Here's the thing about divorce, though. The pain is so deep. That sense of rejection sometimes runs so deep. It brings more brokenness to our life. And, and so until you start seeking the Lord's healing, don't try to move on. Now listen, I get that everybody I talked to who's divorced, it was mostly the other person. And I understand that. And I get that. And I also understand that most of us will admit, okay, we had a part in it, okay? So when it's done, you need to do an autopsy on it. And you need to figure out what part of this was mine. Because you're sitting there saying, no, it was all them. They just all did it. Okay, maybe it was. Maybe that happened. But you were still the one that chose that person, right? With all of their brokenness. So what is it in you, in your brokenness, that caused you to think you could fix that? You need to understand 
what is broken inside of you and allow God to help heal you before you move on and make better decisions. I want to talk to the widows. Because as I said before, there are some of you that are in here today that would give everything you own just to have a couple of these problems. Because the one that you loved was at your side, who you struggled through with this man, they're gone. And that sense of loss. And first of all, I want to remind you that because you're still here, God's not done with you. If he was done with you, he'd take you home like he took your spouse. So you just got to keep living on mission. I know for me, when I lost my wife 30 years ago, this was a huge piece that God had to remind me. He wasn't done with me. You you just got to keep pressing on. You you just got to keep realizing that when God's done with you, he'll take you home. But he hasn't. You're here. So keep pressing on. Secondly, you got to remember, in the midst of the pain, you got to remember that the good peace was well worth it. You know, sometimes in the midst of the pain and the grief and the sorrow, the sense of, man, I, I just, I would never go. In fact, I, I probably have told you this story because in 25 years I've told you most of my stories. But I was about two to three months into the loss and the grief of having lost my wife and all of this, and the pain was unbearable, just unbearable. I mean, there was no meaning, there was no purpose in life, and again, my dad had lost a wife, he had been through this to cancer at one time, and so we were out, I can remember, we were working in the garage, it was kind of a nice spring day, and I had been processing this, and I just, I just said, Dad, I said, you know, I really come to the position that I will never get married again, because I don't ever want to have to face this pain again. He said, okay. He said, let me throw out a hypothetical. He said, what if God came to you tonight and said you could have Pam back for 24 hours? 24 hours, completely whole, you got to have with her again. But then you had to walk through this all again. Would you do it? Now, I was hurting. But that one didn't take me a moment to think of. (laughs) I told him, man, in a heartbeat. I'd do that in a second. He smiled at me and walked away. (laughs) And I'm really glad he did. Because in the midst of the pain, sometimes you get so overwhelmed with that sense of loss. And you forget how good and how precious it was. And I'm very, very thankful that God gave me 30 years now beyond my heart's possible imagination. Don't forget in the midst of the pain how good it was because here's the thing, you're never going to replace that loved one. That relationship was, was just, it's unique, it's special. You don't try to replace it. But what you're going to find is that possibly there's still room in your heart to love somebody else. I mean, those of you that are parents, you remember, you remember how full your heart was when you brought that first little baby home? 
man, and, and they're just, I mean, they're so cute, they're so wonderful, and your heart's so full, and you think, I can never love a child like I love this child. And then number two came along, right? And you found that your love didn't now divide, and now you only love the first one half and this one half. No, God gave you a whole lot more capacity to love than you ever thought. Didn't diminish the love for one. It just increased with number two, and maybe God will do that. Lastly, I want to talk to you that are married. Here's the thing. Fight for your marriage every single day. You know, what I find more than anything else is that people become unattentive to their marriage a day at a time. And then the day rolls into a week, and the week rolls into a month, and the month rolls into six months, and 12 months, and 18 months. And pretty soon it's like a garden that's unattended. And all of a sudden they look around and they see all the weeds, and they don't even know where to begin. And by that time, one of them has thought, you know what, there's too many weeds here. It's not worth fixing. Fight for your marriage every single day. Be willing to go in and have the hard conversation. You know, men, one of the things is sometimes in your passivity that you do is we just want to keep the peace, right? We want to keep the fire down. And we know if we bring this up, it's going to like throw gasoline on the fire. I was listening to a podcast by Les Parrott, the marriage instructor, and he said this, that conflict in marriage is the price of deeper intimacy. That's tweetable. Conflict in marriage is the price for deeper intimacy, to be willing to have the hard conversations all the way through till you bring them to resolve so that you can move on closer to one another. Fight for your marriage every day. Next to Jesus, it's got to be the number one thing in your life. Number two is pray for and with your spouse every day. Now, you know what? There are no magic bullets out there, but if there is one, it's that. Hey, you know, in these six marriages that we're praying for, you know what's happened in a couple of them? In a couple of the marriages, one who has claimed to know Jesus, has walked with Jesus, we know them. Even to today, seem like, you know, they, you know they, they know the Lord. And they just, they've either gotten caught up in lies or they've just chosen to walk away from Jesus. Do you think there's not an enemy that wants to do that to your spouse? You need to pray for your spouse every day. That God will keep their heart close to, to the Lord. You need to pray that for yourself. You need your spouse praying that for you. Secondly, when you pray together, together, not just over the meal, but to you have that time every day where you're praying about your future, you're praying for your kids, you're praying for your marriage. It will bring alignment to your hearts. There will be a softness there. And lastly, don't wait to get help. You know, this is, this is the piece that I guess just frustrates the bejeebers out of me. Because there is such a a proudness and, and an arrogance in our hearts. We think if we let anybody know there's a little chink in our armor, that everything isn't just perfect, that somehow they're going to think bad of us. Who cares what other people think? Fight for your marriage. Get other people to speak in. You know, you find a marriage that's lasted 50 years and it's strong and it's healthy because not every marriage that goes for 50 years is strong and healthy, by the way. But you find one that it is, and you start asking, you're going to find 
in their years of 5 and 10 and 15 and even 20 years, they had mentors. They had older couples. They didn't probably call it that, but that they watched, that they brought in. You know, one of the things that just I can't understand, we have a marriage mentoring ministry here at Desert Springs. We've even trained them. Do you know how few couples take advantage of that? You know why? Uh, we're okay. We'll get it through. We'll fix it. So often by the time they get to me, the damage has been done. The light switch has been turned. And often there isn't much hope. Don't wait. Get help. Get counseling.